You're listening to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. Okay, thanks for listening to your episode, Yoshi Den. I'm in Rome, and uh, I'm really excited because I'm here. Shelly, would you mind pronouncing your last name? I was a little worried. Sure, no, no problem. It's Ruel. Ruel, okay. Although here in Italy, Ruelle. Oh, that's prettier. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to say, yeah, it's very, it has a ring to it, doesn't it? I, I, um, I, I usually, visit, whenever I visit new cities overseas, I check the expat blog, and you, you have to... To me, most interesting and funny one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and um, I, I was really happy that you replied really fast, and um, you know, you, you you didn't make any sort of demand like you sent me uh, questions before the interview. So I and um, I'm really looking forward to asking you. I have so much questions for you. Great. No, I'm I'm looking forward to it too. Now, how, how do you uh, say your blog's name, by the way? Ah, okay. It's Una Americana Aroma. And there's actually a story, a little story behind the name there. Mm -hmm. um, here in Rome, one of the most famous actors is, uh, famous Roman actors, is um, a gentleman named Alberto Sordi. And one of his <coughs> most famous movies was called Un Americano a Roma, which means an American in Rome, in which he kind of, pre he wanted to be American. He loved America, it was from the 50s. He loved American culture, and he wanted to be American. Yeah. It's, so it's kind of gone into cultural lore here in Rome. And so when I first moved here, everyone kept making these references to this movie, and I had no idea what they were talking about. Well, now that I've been here 12 years, and I've watched a lot of Sorti movies, and I really like him a lot, um, I thought it would be the female uh, play on that, a female version. So instead of Un Americano Aroma, it's Un Americana Aroma. Problem being, my email address, I mean, if you look, if you look at it, you don't speak Italian. This never occurred to me. It looks like un-American. <laughs> so somebody oh, yeah, said yeah. to me, are you un-American? I said, no, oh my God, that's kind of silly. But anyway, an American in Rome, you know, the Italian version. I, 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 like, I like your blog because it's so eclectic. You know, one moment, um, I was actually, the way I found you was, I was reading a Vanity Fair article about, um, it was about Vatican and there's a, in Hollywood, they call it gay mafia. I oh, guess yeah. there's a, like a gay priest group wow. within the uh, Catholic Church. So they were talking about that. And I got a little bit more curious. I was surfing the web, and there's an article I actually wrote about um, prostitution stuff in Rome. And I oh. read that article about that oh. when I was searching for that. So yeah. I read it, and, and you were saying it in a very matter of fact, not judgmental, but the, here we go. And... And uh, I, 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 it was well written. It was interesting, but the one thing that you wrote that made me laugh, and I, my favorite was this pig character of um, uh, GQ of Vanity Fair magazine had a anime, Italian animation about family of pigs. Oh, they did. It, oh, oh, the the cover when Peppa Pig was. Oh, there, yeah, that's it. Oh, okay, you're so funny. Yeah, if you don't have kids, I'm like a family of pigs. Wait, I'm not making the connection. Yeah, yeah, Peppa Pig is this really famous children's cartoon, and she was featured as like the girl of the moment on the Happy New Year cover of Vanity Fair in Italy here. <laughs> and, and so I, I looked at, I really enjoyed, it and I, I started looking at your blogs, and um, um, you you piqued my interest so much. I emailed you, and um, yeah, here, here you are. So. 
before we jump to Rome and into other Italian questions I have for you, keep, I'd like to, I think my listeners want to know also your background. So you're not Italian American, and you no. um, you grow up all over in the states. That's right. Yeah, I grew up and lived in quite a few different states actually, because my father was in the Navy, and so we lived mm-hmm. on, on Navy bases and moved around. Grew up outside of Seattle and moved to Arizona for high school, went to college in northern Arizona in Flagstaff, and lived in Phoenix for a few years. But then in 2001, I came to Rome to study Italian for one month. I had decided to quit my job, and kind of everyone had encouraged me, this is the time, quote, go find yourself. I was 24, and they said, before you get a kid's mortgage, car payments, everything, just go do it. And I came here and to study Italian at a private language school. But what, why, why Italian? Um, I loved the language. I had always wanted to learn a second language, and I had taken an elective Italian course in my last year of college, and I thought it sounded so beautiful and it was unique. You know, it was kind of hard to find Italian lessons. Spanish, German, and French are generally the three that you get in the States in school. So I uh, was just intrigued, intrigued by the culture and um, wanted to go abroad and see what it was like. And then I met my future husband on day one in Rome, which <laughs> kind of set the stage for the, a lot of the future and the rest is history. It's been, gosh, you know, 13, 12, 13 years now. So uh, I'm sure before you got here, you probably had a like, preconceived notion what Italy and Rome was like. Did anything surprise you right away when you moved to Rome? Well, it's really funny because my particular story is very um, unique because the first day that I came to Rome was, um, well, because most people who are listening will probably know that Italy is famous for loving soccer. They call it calcio. And here in Rome, we have two teams. We have a team called uh, Roma and the other team is Lazio. They're both Rome teams. Lazio is the name of the region, and of course Rome is the name of the city, but they're both Rome teams, and they're bitter rivals, of course. Well, the first day I was ever in Rome was the day after Roma won what's called the Scudetto, which is the national championship, the cup, basically. And it had been 20 years since Rome had won, and the year prior, Lazio had won. So it was just utter chaos and mayhem. It was crazy. I see. It was so, and so that was my first impact with Rome. After 20 years, this Rome team won the championship. And I tell you, I did not sleep for three weeks. People were on scooters with flags. People would break out into song in the restaurants. And this was my welcome. I would call home and be like, mom, I don't know what's going on here. People sing on the streets. And went, oh my God. People were spray painting. And I thought, wow, Italians really are pretty vivacious. It was a heart, like a just sink or swim. It was crazy. It was fun. How long did it take you to realize this This is not like ordinary day in Rome? I mean, I understood from the sense that people were trying to explain it to me. You know, this is a very unusual moment in, in our city's history because we've won this championship match, but uh, it lent a very interesting energy to the city. I haven't seen anything like it since. <laughs> oh, is that right? You yeah, no. I mean, not that kind of celebrating. I'm not a big soccer fan, but as far as I know, Rome or Lazio haven't won since. I was in um, Melbourne, uh, Australia, 2006, and I think it was two or three in the morning. I thought we were under terrorist attack. Yeah. And then I realized <laughs> Italian just won, oh, the, <laughs> like a huge. I think it might have been like World Cup or something. But yeah. Yeah, that was in 2006. Six. Yeah, I and, remember and, that. Definitely remember that. And I guess I didn't realize at the time there's a lot of Italians living in Melbourne, so oh, okay. they were yes. just losing their mind. Oh and my that, god! Yeah, that was a big deal. Big deal. 
I had happened to be in France the day of the last match, coming back to Italy that evening. So that was a lot of fun. It was just a weird coincidence that I was on a weekend away. And we have a lot of budget airlines here in, in Europe, so it's not like I'm rich, but you can, you can kind of country hop sometimes. And it was fascinating to see the rivalry there between in Paris versus Rome. <laughs> So did you did you live anywhere else besides Rome or you just Rome? Always Rome. Oh. I came here, this was the first place I came and I've never lived in any other city in Italy. I mean I've traveled a little bit, but uh, my heart this city stole my heart. To not to sound too like under the Tuscan sunish, but uh, I, I really feel at home here. It really the city uh, balances me out. Because I, I was a very type A person before I came here, very much Everything has to be planned and perfect and things need to work. And if you come to Rome and you can make a life here, you have to loosen up because things don't work here. They don't. And so you have to be very flexible. And I kind of like that. Rome kind of pulls that, that, order, like that organized side out of me and lets me feel a little bit more relaxed. It's a nice lifestyle. I, I agree with you because I've only been here three days and um, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear some of your stories. My general sense is uh, like whenever I'm in Germany, you know, oh it, God, you're bringing, yeah, now we're looking at polar opposites. <laughs> everything runs example. well and um, they're working really hard. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's everything's ordinary, but um, people in Rome seem like they know how to live well, like a really neat, like a fun, joyous life, you know, even like. When I was thinking stuff like last couple of days, I can't remember all the names, but like, is there a place called Marconi? Marconi, yeah, like a metro station. Yeah. There's a yeah. Every almost every other um, station's name, it almost to me sounds like like a delicious food. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've never been anywhere else. In, like I've been to most of the European major cities, but. The Rome that the make every stop sounds like food, you know. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> I've never thought of it like that. You know, and it, it sounds really nice. It, so it, Marconi it, would be like a pasta dish. Or something or like, like that, yeah. Pasta la al Marconi. <laughs> it and it's hard to explain to someone who's never been to Rome, but uh, I, I when I was in Paris, when I went to Louvre and Dorsey, those museums, I started laughing because I saw Mona Lisa and all these paintings yeah. that iconic. I kind yeah, of stuff that yeah. I, I saw as a kid growing up, but right. it, but now that I saw them in person, I started laughing because in Dorset they had everything there, you know. Yeah. When you walk in Rome, it's it's like if you see the Colosseum for the first time, or is it is it Tivoli fountain? Is that how you say that? Or uh, where? But um, the famous fountain where you toss your coin. Oh, Trevi. Oh, okay. Trevi Fountain. There's also some fountains in Tivoli, I think, so that's why I was getting... Um, the Stephen yeah, Steps and... Uh, yeah, is, is a Parthenon or Pantheon? Pantheon. 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 I, I, I tell you, this is not something that you could just watch in video. You really have oh. to go in person. Isn't it true? And, I, and you know what? I can say from my own experience and mm. also the experience of a lot of my friends who have moved here from other countries, that doesn't get old. You don't lose those moments. Like a part of me in the beginning thought, well, I'm sure after a while it will just become, you know, the, oh, there's the Colosseum again. And in a way, of course it does because you're used to it. But at the same time, there are moments you walk and you're like, oh my God, there's a Pantheon. It's amazing. It never really loses its, um, you know, its power to kind of amaze because it is 
really, I mean, mo monumental, <laughs> you know, it's, they're monuments. And there's a reason why they're called that because standing in front of them, you really do get a sense of I am in front of an amazing piece of history that cannot be conveyed by just a picture. It's true. I agree with you. Absolutely. I, I'm not religious at all. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not religious at all, but when I went panting, I mean... St. Peter's? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's... You just, I don't know, you just feel this energy, the like, you know, my, my family don't like it, I'm really atheist, and, but uh, you do definitely feel something, and even some of the rooms when you walk like middle of the street there's something just sticking out I know it still gets to me I mean it still surprises me the other day I was getting off the bus um, near Piazza Venezia there's a stop kind of just before Piazza Venezia called the Teatro Marcello and you get off there and it looks like weeds on mm -hmm. the side you get off on the sidewalk and it looks like it's just this weeds all over and if you really take just a second glance among all those seemingly weeds that need to be cut down it's just Rent, like columns, pieces of broken columns, and you think, oh my gosh, those are that's our rocks. Our rocks are pieces of columns from two thousand years ago that the Romans like sculpted. <laughs> it's quite amazing the dichotomy of walking through the city. Well, it's often referred to a lot as a living museum, a living open air museum, and I obviously would agree with that. Yeah, in, in fact, um, I will also add it's it's like time machine because when you work walking certain streets. It's it's amazing. It's hard for me. Well, honestly, as America. Well, you lived here for quite a while, so mm -hmm. you probably. Um, but like, America is such a young country, you know. Right. It's, it's, and yeah. and when I see Rome, it's a collision of um, um, well, geology too, you sure. know, because because everything's built on levels. Yeah, yeah and the architecture, mm -hmm. and I, I should have come here more often. I just um, is this your first time? I, I I was I think I was here one time years ago, but um, we were driving through with, oh, okay. with my friend, and I was really drunk, so I didn't. Oh, okay, <laughs> so we'll we just literally just kind of drove drove through it. So, so the fact that you made it through alive in Rome traffic, driving through, and <laughs> this is already an accomplishment. I I, I uh, so it didn't make an impact at that point. Not like this time. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's it really is amazing. It, this is I mean really if you're. Appreciating everything that relates to Western civilization, yeah. you should you should so, come to Rome, and yeah. uh, oh, the Vatican is amazing too, and Sistine Chapel, you know. Um, what did you? Because I've only been to the Sistine Chapel once, and I went because of my work. I used to work and study abroad with a lot of um, sure. university groups, so come through. So um, I only went once with a tour group, but. It was very anticlimactic for me. I didn't enjoy it, to be perfectly honest. Nothing to take away from the fact that obviously it's an artistic masterpiece, sure. but I don't know how you felt, but I have a, I remember my experience as being very, um, not sacred, <laughs> very commercialized. You're in this room, elbow to elbow with people. My experience was everybody's bumping you. There's all these people, these guards with microphones that are shushing over intercoms. Mm -hmm. It's a shame, in a way, that it's become so overburdened. And of course, things might have changed now. Maybe they're limiting the numbers that go in. I'm speaking about maybe seven or eight years ago. But I was kind of disappointed. Of course, I know they do private tours as well. But, you know, for the average Joe, you build up in your mind what the Sistine Chapel is going to be. Read Agony and the Agony and Ecstasy, things like that. And then you get there, it's like, oh, it's just a room full of chattering tourists. <laughs> I, I, I liked it a lot, but it's it's like when I saw Mona Lisa, I was shocked how small I was. So when I saw Sistine Chapel, for some reason... It is I, small, isn't it? I yeah. kind of a lot bigger than yeah. it. I mean, it is big. Yeah, yeah. 
I I thought. But in comparison to yeah. Like when when people are like overhyping it, so I thought, oh my god, this is going to be like a life changing experience. I mean, I, I really enjoyed. I think it. that was my thing too. Yeah. Perhaps my expectations were just way too high after years and years of growing up in the states and reading about Michelangelo and just you know, really, um, yeah. I had it of mythic proportions, and it kind of was a letdown in that sense. <laughs> St. Peter's, however, was the opposite. I didn't really have any expectations sure. for St. Peter's, and it, it was thrilling because it was very, you know, easy to get into. You know, you wait in line, but it's not that bad. And uh, everything there is just epic, epically huge. And I don't know. That was the first time I'd ever been in a, a real cathedral, and what a, an experience the cathedral, you know, of the world, of the Catholic Church. And, and, and I, don't know, I don't know what was going on because I just decided to go Vatican first yesterday and there was some huge event because I saw the Pope. I, didn't, I wasn't really expecting well, it. I saw you tweeted about that. You saw him speak. He spoke, you said. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, I, you know, I was being silly about those tweets. but <laughs> And I, I don't know much about him, but he does strikes me like pretty friendly and have a great sense of humor. He, this pope is such a has making such a different impact than the yeah. previous pope, yeah. And uh, New Year's Eve, he supposedly called one of the nunnery, and oh, uh, really? nobody answered the phone. And he left a message and like, "Hey, this is the pope," and like, "What's <laughs> going on?" Seriously, yeah, I didn't hear it, about it, that. It, it was an Italian. He's like. I mean, why are you guys so busy? Like, he has a pretty good sense of humor. Yeah, and, yeah, that's cute. And I like the fact that... He's down to earth, it seems. Yeah. Humble, yeah. Kind of a pope of the people, it seems. And he he shook hands with a bunch of people that's and lovely. taking care of kids. And, yeah, um, I like to see that. The previous pope was different in that sense. Was not really... People didn't get the sense that he was really in touch with the common man. So... So his background was very different. His, yeah. his background in the church was very different than this. He was German too, so there may be more reserved, whereas this Pope is from Argentina. Sure, yeah. sure. There's definitely got to be cultural aspects to that. Yeah. So, so what, what's how does the most, uh, do you say Romans for people in Rome? Yeah, Romans. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, uh, they must be in love with this guy, right? I mean. It seems. I mean, I I don't follow the press that closely, but I will say that he's gotten, well, not you know, not only here in Italy, but of course worldwide, he's getting great press in the sense that he's seen as approachable and open. The interesting thing is if you read uh, some, some journalists, friends of mine that I've talked to and have written articles about this, is that is it, um, is it really changing the doctrine of the Catholic Church or is it more kind of a, a media portrayal you know, is it a uh, kind of his style versus substance kind sure. of thing? But yeah, the fact that he's he's making the kind of impression that John Paul II was making in the sense that people feel, um, you know, that he's close to the people, down to earth, humble, because he's not up in his. I don't even think he lived. He doesn't even live in the in the um, papal apartment, as far as I understand. Oh, is that right? I think someone had told me that he lives, well, of course, I'm not 100% informed, so I could be saying the wrong thing, but someone had, oh, here we go, my sense, my source of Roman wisdom, a taxi driver told me, yeah. <laughs> love taxi drivers, told me, oh no, he lives in a, an apartment, in, or in a hotel nearby, and he doesn't, he didn't even want the Vatican guards outside his bedroom door, I don't know, there's a lot of um, man on the street myths that go around about this Pope being so unguarded and yeah. so down to earth so I think that's telling about how people look at him more approachable yeah I don't want to keep talking about him so we'll move to another thing but my impression is he, he seems to say stuff about problems in Catholic Church you know some of the abusive stuff but he's addressing it I mean, my impression was 
he probably need more time to be fully entrenched in a, his position and maybe make some difference. Make change, yeah. for sure. But he's definitely talking about things in a way that's more open, I, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. People saw the past Pope as more secretive. He was more part of the status quo. Yes. He came from a very long line of uh, having worked in the Vatican upper echelon. So, so yeah, this is different. It's a different feeling, different energy, for sure. So when you moved, uh, learning to speak Italian, was it difficult? or? Yes, it, it was. was. It really was difficult. I will say that uh, Italian grammar is very difficult. But yet, and I can only speak about Rome, but I will say that um, if you're the kind of person who can loosen up and just go with the flow and not be afraid to make mistakes, learning to speak Italian in Rome can be a lot of fun because the Italian, the Romans are generally speaking very, very open to foreigners who want to learn Italian because of the fact that since most Roman Romans speak at least a little bit of English because this city is um, very touristy, of course. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, it's their livelihood. So most business people here, Romans who work in the tourist industry, of course, they're going to speak enough English to communicate. So when they see someone who's very passionate about their language and wants to learn, they have a lot of fun with it. They appreciate that. Um, of course, I had a lot of gaps, which I could write a book about because my ga- the gaps in Italian, of course, I don't know if this is the case, but it seems like they're always of a sexual nature. Whenever you make a gaffe in a foreign language, at least that's my experience. <laughs> I have so many crazy stories. Well, can you give, can you give a couple of good, well, examples? Yeah, sure. I, I'm happy to because I think they're funny. When I was first learning, I was with my, um, well, my ex-husband now, but my boyfriend at the time at dinner with a, another couple. And the girl was trying to help me learn my Italian. And so we were talking about stupid things because I didn't have a lot of words. And we were talking about the food. She says, oh, look at the Parmesan cheese on the table. Do you have Parmesan cheese in America? And I wanted to say to her that we did, but it wasn't as fresh as here. We don't use a lot of, uh, or that Italians don't use a lot of preservatives. Now, people who speak the Romance languages will immediately know what my gaffe was because in Italian, well, basically, I'll tell you what I said. I said, um, Sì, abbiamo il parmigiano, però il nostro ha tanti preservativi. So basically what I had just told her was that our cheese in America has lots of condoms in it. <laughs> she says, she was so cool about it. She goes, preservativi? Meglio, mm, it's better conservanti. So I was using a false friend because I thought uh. preservatives, preservativi. So hey, there you go. You all have your first Italian word. Preservativi is condoms. Don't say that cheese has condoms in it. And of course, another quick one for ladies, if you're in a restaurant ordering pasta, there's a very famous pasta here. It's called penne with two N's, alla rabbiata, which means um, the penne pasta is like the, the, the pasta with a hole in the middle that's mm-hmm. about, I don't know, two inches long. I don't know, penne, oh, I'm sure you guys probably know. Um, but anyway, here it's very important to pronounce double consonants because if you pronounce penne with just one N, you're asking for a penis. Oops, <laughs> because pene is, is P-E-N-E. I see. And so, you know, Romans are very, um, they have a very uh, spirited dialect, and they're very, they're kind of raunchy. Like, I, I think I like that about here. They're not straight-laced at all. Roman dialect is very vulgar. It's full of vulgarity, sexual references. They're, they're crazy about sexual double meanings, innuendos. And they're just, I, I just love it. I get the biggest kick out of it because they do not take themselves seriously. I mean, I'm generalizing, but mm-hmm. I, I think I'm pretty safe in saying that Roman culture, the spirit of the Roman culture is they do not take themselves too seriously. They have a great sense of humor, and I think that's why I love it. 
definitely one of the reasons. I, I do have a couple more questions. So how does Resident Italy see Rome? It's, it's a good question. Because it seems everything's like... Um, people seem very regional in, in absolutely Rome. absolutely there's a phenomenon called um, I don't know if I'm going to say this right campanalismo I think that's it campanalismo because the campana is your like your your little town's bell tower and so it refers to this idea that everyone in Italy is very loyal to where they live because Italy although it's a republic it's a young republic and they've never really united in fact, a lot of times I get comments of, gosh, it's amazing to see America as one country with so many different states. Here in Italy, you could go from one town to the next, and they're completely different, and their loyalties are completely different. But there's, a, of course, a very big divide between North and South. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get very specific between cities, I can tell you that there's a very big divide between Milan and Rome. There's a very, there's, I would almost go so far as to say there's cultural prejudices. Maybe not to the extent of, I mean, hate crimes or anything of that nature, but um, prejudices in the sense that, yeah, there are definite cultural differences between the Milanese and the Romans. The two don't, I, I would go so far as to say that they don't like each other, generally speaking, because they're so different. I mean, if you look at the cultures, they're so different, so different. Because my impression is people in Milan seem to resent Southern Italy because you know, I guess most of the money, a lot of money are made in Northern Italy. Right. I guess Milan have fashion, but also a lot of banking business. That's right, that's right. And um, I, I don't know if people are being serious, but some people said they want to see yes. some parts of Italy. Well, those people who say it are being serious. Now, is it being taken seriously? Probably not. The people who are part of that political party, mm -hmm. um, I believe it's Lega Nord, Oh, Padana. They, they wear green. They're like their symbol. They wear like these green ties. And they do want to secede. They're serious about it because they're resentful of the fact that um, people from the south move north to find jobs. Um, and so I think, you know, and the definition of south, of course, too, you know, some people see Rome as the south, whereas others will see it central Italy. But um, there's a little. Well, how, do you, how do you see it? What do you. Well, I certainly don't consider that Rome is part of southern Italy, but if somebody from Milan, of course, well, it's south of Milan, obviously, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I, generally speaking, Rome is seen as, well, we're the heart of, of Italian politics. I mean, it's the capital. So here we're seen as uh, corrupt politicians. Corruption is, is a big issue, um, but also less refined in terms of, like, um, cultural behavior. Like, um, people from Milan will look at Romans like, oh my God, listen to the way they talk. Listen to their accent. I think the only way I could describe it would be, I've, I've asked some Italians, tell me, who know the United States, give me a, um, a comparison to what Roman dialect would be considered as in the States. And I've gotten comparisons of like New Jersey, the Jersey accent, or like Brooklyn, some kind of really <laughs> thick, yeah, some really thick Brooklyn accent. And because I will tell you, when I moved here, all the Italians said to me, um, especially Italians who are not from Rome, they said to me, you be careful. Don't you learn to speak Italian like the Romans do? And I said, why? And they said, because that dialect is vulgar. It is ugly and it sounds bad. And I will tell you what, I know the dialect and I love it. I love it for so many reasons. It's deep. It has a deep cultural um, roots. It has deep cultural roots. There's really famous uh, poets who wrote entire sonnets in Roman dialect, which are wildly ironic and smart and funny. 
Um, I love Roman dialect, and I think the great thing is that you have to delve deeper, to, you know, into the culture before you just dismiss it. But I will say, um, it is definitely seen as the kind of, um, yeah, just uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what the comparison would be. Less refined for sure. So is, is Milan more media capital than Rome? Um, that's hard to say because we have state television here. We have Rai, which is, we have the state-run tele... Well, of course, then we get into the whole discussion of Berlusconi and who mm -hmm. controls the media and, um, you know, when Berlusconi was... Born and raised in Milan, he has a, a Inter Milan, which is just a soccer team sure. owned by him. And sure, and when he was in charge of the government, of course, that indirectly makes him responsible for the state television channels, but then he also is the one who founded private television in Italy with Mediaset. So there was a huge, um, you know, conflict of interest there because not only now is he directing, was he directing state television, but also his private for-profit channels and, but uh, but yeah, the, so media capital. I'm not so sure about Milan. Definitely fashion. Rome definitely seen as the politics capital. Could you quickly let the listeners know, and mostly they're in North America, like Berlusconi. How would you, how would you explain? I, I know he's a very wealthy businessman sure, and former sure. prime minister, but. Yes. But he seems like a bigger-than-life figure. He, perfect way to describe it. Perfect way to describe it. He is larger-than-life character. He is a character. Um, it's. I mean, I. I would no, have no idea how to approach describing him briefly. But um, I think the legacy in my eyes that he's left this country, and I'm only speaking for myself, of course. But the first thing that comes to my mind with Berlusconi is not successful businessman or, or politician, but it's philanderer and like um, womanizer and, you know, sexual uh, adventurer man. I mean, the, the scandals that he brought about for me are what stick out most in my mind. And, uh, I also want to listen to know that he's like top 200 wealthiest person in the whole world. He's a multi-billionaire. Yes. He owns teams and media companies. He's and, a mogul. Yeah, yes, absolutely. But um, it's just unimaginable for Americans to have somebody of that wealth running for office and actually winning it. Yes, absolutely. And to have all this sexual, um, um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the word either, but just questionable behavior, inappropriate. He, for he made that word bunga bunga very popular. He did because of all the, because of the scandal that was involved. I mean, you're with another world leader basically, and you're having how do you describe orgies, that? You know? How do you describe that word? Right, you know, Bunga Bunga. Well, it, it was a, if I'm understanding correctly, it was the name that came from, wasn't it Gaddafi that he was having these parties with? No? I wouldn't be surprised because the girl that Berlusconi got in trouble was a 17-year-old girl from North Africa, and she was 17 at the time, and the rumor was he paid to have sex with her. I think having sex with a 17-year-old girl, it's legal in Italy, but paying for it, it's, it's, what it's a real great area. Mm -hmm. It's a real great area. Prostitution has a long um, you know, history here in terms of the legal aspects. I looked into that when I, that article you mentioned about prostitution. I learned quite a bit about, because there used to be um, legal brothels here um, around the time of World War II, and then they were um, legally banned. And so, but anyway, so yeah, so prostitution technically, as far as I understand it, is not illegal. But soliciting is illegal, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I'm not a lawyer, but anyway, it's just suffice it to say it's a very gray area. 
and of course, sex, talking about sex here and, you know, sexual norms and, and ideas about sex in the culture opens <clears throat> up a huge, I mean, we could talk for hours about that. I could write a dissertation for a doctoral thesis on it. I would love to do something like that because it fascinates me from a cultural, from a sociological perspective. They're so out in the open about sex and scandal. It's so different than where I come from. I, you know, I, where, where politicians in the States are, they have to go on TV and publicly apologize sure. for what here would be considered small transgressions. In fact, in Italy, I was told that the whole Clinton scandal baffled the Italian public. And French just, people too. Just baffled the Italian public because they thought, why in the world is he being made to you know, atone publicly for his sins when they would literally say to me, that's so normal. Everyone knows that politicians are going to sleep around. So what? You know, they couldn't, they don't get it. They don't get that moralism with public figures. They say, no, Shelley, don't you think it's weird because we, we were in Rome with this Vatican, you know? The, yeah. That's, that's the confusing part for me. And when I was visiting New Orleans six months ago, it's got to be something to do with Catholicism because uh, French Quarter was so earthly and fun, but like, you know, the sexual energy from that whole Catholic background is. I don't know how you balance that. You know, right. I'm not against it. I, I think right. it's, it's terrific, but right, right. Um, it's interesting. But I yeah, thought, how, I do, thought, how do they live together? These two yeah. energies, yeah, and being that they're next door neighbors, precariously. I mean, I don't know how you know legally and of course politically, the Vatican doesn't have direct influence. I'm sure it's all indirect. You know, just diplomacy and that the influence is there, though it definitely is. But of course. You know, Italian government can't do anything directly interfering in the church. Well, you know, who can say? I'm generalizing and I don't have all the facts. But it, I agree. I guess just to say I agree. It's a very interesting dichotomy there. Again and again, there's a sense of there's these two extremes living side by side. And, and for people who never visited Rome, Vatican is actually not part of this country. It's it's an independent, I don't know what you call it, but it's... It's its, it's own, uh, maybe it's... Its own state, state basically, yeah. yeah. So, and it's only, I believe, one mile square, so it's very small. In fact, I think it's considered the smallest country in the world. Um, but nevertheless, it is a very powerful entity. No absolutely. question about it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, even in the church, there's definitely the... the um, the spiritual and like um, ministry side of things, mm -hmm. and then there's the business arm. And of course, if you look into Italian history and Vatican history, you know you'll come up upon all kinds of scandal, financial scandal, sure, um, big, big, big um, crimes and, and people who were killed and mysterious things that have happened. So I don't know that what I O R stands for, but that's the banking uh, department for the Vatican. Okay, and, and then. Um, remember the guy that got hanged in London yeah they have like friendly supposedly friendly relationship with mafia and things like that but um, and there's a whole nother level mm -hmm. I mean there's another thing you could write of course a, a bunch of dissertations about is the mafia and in fact we use the word mafia to describe organized crime in Italy but in Italy there's actually three different types of organized crime there's Camorra yes very good I was just talking to someone from Calabria the other day and he said to me Oh my gosh, I can't believe that um, 
I knew the word for the Calabrian Mafia. And he's like, that's amazing that you know that. I said, well, don't Italians know that? Not all Italians know that. But yeah, the Camorra is the Naples. What was the one that started with N and apostrophe? That was the Calabrian one. It's the, I, of course, I'm not Calabrian, so forgive me, but it's the Indrangheta. I couldn't even say it. The Indrangheta, because it's in dialect. Mm-hmm. That's when you see that apostrophe N, obviously, you're seeing something that's coming from the local dialect. And so, yeah, that's the Calabrian Mafia. And from what I've read, mm-hmm. they're the most dangerous. Because they're the best organized. And then, of course, the mafia itself, which is actually referred to as Cosa Nostra, yes. which would mean our thing, that's Sicily. And so I think that's where people mostly, you know, with the Godfather and that whatnot, they see that as the mafia. But really, it goes much deeper than that. And each type of organized crime has its own style, its own way of operating. And Rome, interestingly enough, while, in fact, in just in these days, if you look in the press, um, a, a big task force has cracked down on, on mafia dealings here in Rome. But interestingly enough, Rome doesn't have its own mafia. Although, another thing you saw, right? Rome does not have its own mafia. Although, if you look up in the past, I believe it was in the 70s. Don't tell me the government's the real mafia here. Possibly. That's good. That's quick. There was a group here um, for a while, for some years, called the... Uh, the Banda della Magliana, and the Magliana is a road, is a long street uh, here in Rome, and there, there was, so there was a small band, you know, Banda would be like a band of, of criminals, um, that was an organized crime group, but they um, are, I can't say they're no longer operative, but not as a formal entity, of course there's still, you know, the people from those families that... So, I mean, organized crime is here. There's no doubt about it. But can we say Rome has its own name, like the Andrangheta or the Camorra? No, no. They have the influences that cross from north to south. So. And I find this stuff interesting. The fact you mentioned Godfather, Mario Puzo's book. The Paramount needed the, the union to make the movie. And one of the deals they made with the actual um, mob in the States when they're making the movie, the word mafia will not be used. That, that was agreement. Oh, that the word wouldn't be used. No, so oh. Nostra Costa, the one you were mentioning, yeah. they used Costa that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, interesting. And um, for PR reasons, they didn't want. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember why, but yeah. the, that was the deal that they made. You know, I'm from Japan, so mom, I grew up in those kind of neighborhoods. So I, wow, I found okay. it really, okay. really interesting. But um, um, uh, yeah, uh, they were showing this map about. The difference between North and Southern Italy and the places that has a lot of uh, bribery for business practice, they used to color red. The Southern region was all red, sure, sure. but when you go North, you didn't see any red at all. Mm. So it's, it's, it's Milan, I guess, is Tuscany part of that area or is it more? It's, uh, well, Tuscany is North of Rome, okay. but it's South of, of Milan. Milan, so it's kind of in the middle there. Tuscany is the rolling hills. Tuscany is where, you know, divorced women go to live out their, their, oh, yeah. their fantasies in, in, in uh, countryside farmhouses. <laughs> I mean, really. You see like that yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> you do. So, what, I, I mean, I don't want to say like Milan is more European area. You can but, say that. But that I mean, no, we can say it's more Northern European or, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that's a fair assessment. And South and more Mediterranean? Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, and I think for lifestyle, cultural, you can definitely say that, you know, and when you mentioned before that your observations between Germany and Rome and that things are more relaxed here, they are, because they don't work, and so there's this, there's this paradox of 
because when I try to go and do something in a public office and the bureaucracy is so just out of control, terrible, maybe somebody, I, I mean, I've gone to public offices where the man behind the window was sleeping. Like that's the extent of how inefficient things are here. When you live in a culture like that, you have to naturally adapt. You know, you have to find a way to just take a deep breath and go, okay. For example, it's a good thing we had our interview today. It's a Thursday, mm-hmm. tomorrow's Friday. There's a transport strike tomorrow. A transport strike is fully announced in advance. I wouldn't have been able to get here because I don't have a car and I don't have a scooter. And so thank goodness we scheduled today because tomorrow I would have had to take a taxi and I don't want to pay for a taxi. <laughs> well, when you say transport, all, everything, bus? It's, well, yes. Well, transport strike and it's a 24-hour strike. And so... Uh, Jesus, i got to leave tomorrow. Okay, well, we'll talk after our interview. Oh. <laughs> And, and, I, and, and sometimes I get called off at the last minute, and I was reading a tidbit um, on the newspaper this morning that said it might have been called off. So, But that's wrong. It's a perfect example of life around here. And being that I used to work in study abroad for a really large U.S. university, I learned a lot about adapting. I mean, if I have 100 students, I need to get somewhere on, on a certain day on public transport. And Rome says we're striking. Well then, who am I, little person, to say? You know, I have to work around the system. And so I think that is a good description of why people are more laid back here. Oh, let's just go and get a coffee. You know, we can't do anything about the closed window. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. The life, so the lifestyle lends itself to, I've also heard people describe it as Rome is hurry up and wait. Yeah, it's hectic, but yet you can't do a lot fast around here. <laughs> so. Um, my, uh, well, hold on, let me, Space now. Oh, I remember. Sorry. You know, what, what would you recommend the, the Americans visiting, North American visiting Rome? I, I know there's, um, you know, travel books and stuff, sure, but sure. there's things that maybe books don't uh, suggest that maybe, you know, you're living here for 12 years. Yeah. Place to visit, things to eat. I know gelato is probably an obvious one, I'm sure. But, sure, uh, sure. That's definitely, I think, most. Um, most tourists will encounter gelato, but of course, you know what I would say? You mentioned in the beginning, you kind of scouted out expat blogs. Uh, you know, when I first came here, there weren't blogs, and so you only had Lonely Planet or guides. I would actually recommend the first stop would be to scan some of those expat blogs of people living here in Rome, mm-hmm. foreigners who have moved here, because there's some really good writing coming out of those that show you those out-of-the-way places. Food tours have developed here now. A couple of friends of mine have companies now where they will actually take you into a neighborhood like Testaccio and they will take you on a... Like a is that the website too? Uh, what's that? Oh, is that the name of the place or...? Oh, it's the name of the neighborhood. Oh, okay. So neighborhood of Testaccio and there's they'll take you on a tour, a food tour because that's kind of reflective of, of people wanting to have experiences now as tourists rather than I'm just going to go see the Colosseum. I want to take away an experience. So I think that would be my suggestion. Rather than a specific place, why not look into having an experience here mm-hmm. in, in Rome, such as one of these food tours. I took one. I wrote up, I wrote a, did a write-up about it on my blog. It gets you, I mean, if you're a tourist, how can you get into the heart of, you know, what the culture is really like in a span of days? You can't really. But these locals who are running food tours or other tours, you know, neighborhood tours, whatever it is, they will show you kind of a backdoor look into, and they'll explain these things to you. How do you know if a gelato is good or not? 
You really don't if you haven't lived here. But these are the kind of things you can learn on these new new types of experiences. And the cuisine here is amazing. It is. It's fantastic. And yet again, a lot of people coming from the States don't know how to distinguish between a good plate of pasta and a bad plate of pasta. Because Americans are just so grateful to like come here and be like, oh my God, it's real Italian food. And yet, there's some, you can get some really crappy pasta at some touristy restaurants. So there again, you know, it, um, it's fun to, to look up what some of the writers who live here are coming out with. So you can kind of get an insider's look before you come. My general rules whenever I go to a different city, I'd rather to go like someplace that looks pretty dirty, but where mo- none of the tourists are going. I'd yeah, like to, I'd like to see one. where the locals are going. Sure. I just kind of follow them. And, uh, that's a good approach, I think. Yeah. And also, I've found, well, at least here in Rome, speaking for in Rome, uh, menus with pictures, while that's very common in the United States for us to have our menus with pictures on them, if you have a menu with pictures on it here in Rome, I can guarantee almost 99% that that is not uh, an authentic, that's a tourist restaurant. Sure, tourist uh, track. Yeah. It is. And I think, I mean, that probably applies in a lot of cities, but uh, here in Rome especially, we don't have... Um, pictures on our menus. We don't need them. We know what the plate of pasta looks like. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a cultural thing. Um, I'm, I do everything around it. Do you, That's okay, me do, too. <laughs> you don't mind asking if I ask a uh, question about your kids? Sure. Okay. I talk a lot about my kids on my blog too, so I'm not super reserved. Are they more Italian, do you think? a good question. Do they have like Italian, like your son, does he have Italian boy swagger or? Well, it's interesting because he's only, he's going to be six oh, next okay. month, so he's still quite small, but he just did enter public school this year, first grade, and I have to say, it's fascinating as a mom raising a bicultural kid. Um, I'm, you know, I'm American, my ex-husband is Roman, and we're both, you know, 100% that, you know, since I born and raised in the States and he was born and raised in Rome. So now my son is 50-50, and I always tell him that because sometimes his more American side comes out, and sometimes his more Roman side comes out. And so I'll say to him, well, you know, you can choose because you're both. Um, Do you speak to him in English or Italian? I only speak to him in English. Oh, is that right? Yes, absolutely. I'm now divorced, so I'm raising my three kids um, on my own. So at home, we only speak in English. Also because they only get it from me. Because they're in public school and we're living in Italy. So they hear Italian everywhere. That's true. <laughs> but uh, my son's just now learning to read. So it's really interesting because he's learning to read in Italian, which is much easier than reading in English. Because in is Italian, right? absolutely. Which it's fascinating because I'd never thought about this before, but pronouncing Italian is very easy. Because if you learn each sound of the Italian alphabet, you pronounce everything except for the H. Uh, you pronounce everything. So my son, the whole sound it out concept is so easy for him. He looks at a word, he sounds it out, he says it perfectly. Think about that for English. It's not that way at all. Um, you know, thought. You're going to say, what, thought it? Yeah. You know, it's very odd. Pneumonia is still with P, you know. It's a, right. So, he, so this is interesting. And one thing he does now to tease me, which is so funny, is that a lot of times Italians will pronounce English words um, with an Italian accent, obviously, because they're not native speakers. Well, my son is a native speaker, but he's also a native speaker of Italian. So what he does now when I read him English language books, the, the first starter reader books, he, to, to, to tick me off and make me laugh, he pronounces the English words with an Italian accent. So we've got the SpongeBob book, and he's, he's trying to say all the words like an Italian would say it. Or a perfect example is Disney. They say Disney here, they say Disney. And it sounds oh. so silly to me. And he, 
you know, sometimes my kids will say these things. I'm like, hey, you're American. <laughs> say it with your American accent. <laughs> Don't say Disney. You know better than that. <laughs> so it's really fun. It's a lot of fun. And they, they understand. They're at the age where they understand. My girls, my I have twin girls, they're four. They understand that they're both cultures. And I want them really to appreciate and respect both cultures. I'm not here because I don't like the States. I'm here because I, I enjoy Rome, but I certainly don't at all shun my American culture. I'm very, very proud of that. So well, you're giving your kids one of the greatest gifts to learn another language and uh, to think. And I, I mean, are you, are you completely fluent by now, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, in fact, I mean, not to sound snobby by any means, but I'm kind of proud of that because Italians have often told me, oh my God, your Italian is better than a lot of Italians. And that's mainly probably because A, I'm a perfectionist, but B, I studied a lot in order to speak properly. And what's... The so they don't assume you're American right, when they... When you... Well, I mean, they can hear a, a foreign accent for sure. Although I will say that I've worked to kind of get my American accent down. So like I can, I can impersonate an mm -hmm. American speaking Italian and make people laugh that way. Um, they can tell I'm foreign. They don't necessarily always know exactly from where I've been. I've been given. Oh, are you from Eastern Europe? Are you from you know? One time somebody even said, "Are you from Northern Italy?" Which I was like, "Wow, <laughs> I must really be getting good." But um, yeah, so fluent, yes. And in fact, the fun part is that I've learned how to speak with Roman phrases and, and terms, so I can switch back and forth to make Romans laugh. I will come out with like a Roman phrase or a Roman expression, and they, it kills them because they're like. You're an American girl speaking Roman. How is that possible? <laughs> I love it. I love Roman, the, the dialect and the. So if you go south or, or way up north in Milan, could you learn to speak those dialects too? Well, this is an interesting thing. Roman, I say dialect, but in Rome, it's not really an actual foreign language. Most dialects you would not be able to understand. If you go to Calabria, it's a foreign. It's a whole other foreign language. Um, and in the north, same thing. Here in Rome, it's a way of speaking. It's a different intonation to the words. Oh. It's slightly different, but there the, there's a couple words that are different, but it's pretty much comprehensible to I other see. Italians. Whereas if you go to other cities, the dialect is, is a truly another language. So I know I can't understand those dialects, like, uh, but they have different accents too. So if, I, if somebody here comes here from the north... I'm really confused. I, yeah, I, 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 also assume, I, I also assume, so dialect and accent is completely... Completely different. Thing. Okay. Completely different. So the difference would be, if I'm walking around Rome and somebody asks me for directions on the street, I can hear, well, think about somebody from Texas as opposed to somebody from Boston. You know, a Texas mm. accent is quite different than a Boston accent sure. or a rock accent from New York or Maine, Northeast, or even Midwest accent. That's the difference between accents, and we have that with Milan and with um, Sicily and Calabria and Rome. And I can tell where you're from. If you're from Tuscany, I can hear that. Okay. Now, if you start to speak a different language, for example, if you're in New Orleans and they're speaking like what? What is a Creole? Oh, I see what you're saying. That's okay. a dialect. Yeah. That's not English anymore. It might have bits and pieces of English mixed in, but you won't be able to comprehend it. That's when we're talking about dialects, that's that. I see. My ex-husband went and lived in Calabria for six months, and I'll never forget it. The first night he was down there, he called me and he goes, Shelly, I finally understand how you feel in Italy. I don't understand a word these people are saying down here. How far is that from here? It can't be that far. Well, no, it's not that it's so far, but um, even towns, a couple towns over can have their own dialect. And there it goes back to that sense of um, campanalismo that we talked about before. People are very loyal to their own areas because they have their own, each area has its very own distinct culture and as far as language too. When I visit my friends in um, New York City and Brooklyn and Bronx and places like that and I, they would tell me um, 
they had Italian people in the neighborhood, but it wasn't just they're Italian, they're all from a certain village. Yeah, sure. And, and um, it's just such a strong thing to bind those people, you yeah. know, or going against somebody because they're from other um, towns. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so your kids, um, um, do they feel like Americans or do they, do, do, do they like Italy more than America or are they still kind of too young to... They might be a little too young to really understand the difference, although I think, I would venture to say they feel pretty balanced right now because I make it a point to do a lot of the American traditions and culture mm -hmm. at home. And, um, and so I think they have a good mix right now of both. And that's probably because of my approach. I, I honor both equally because I feel that I love both equally. So, um, so anyway, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, well, and I think people here really, um, appreciate the, you know, they like, they think it's cool that there's an American in the class who speaks English. I mean, English is a big deal here. Everyone wants to learn English. It's seen as a very, very important asset. It is? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't tell you every single mom in my son's, you know, like the class, the children that are in the class, all the moms have said to me, do you teach English? Will you teach my kids? Do you have classes? I mean, it's, it's seen as a way, I mean, it's seen as the international language now. And it is the language of European business, basically, you know? So European Union, everything's done in English. Well, I bet the French don't like that here. I bet they don't at all. <laughs> but yeah, so no, English is seen as a very important asset. So, yeah. But, you know, this is the part I'm really confused because uh, when I went to Netherlands and anywhere in, in Scandinavia, it's, it's given that everyone speaks English. Sure. But when I visit places like um, Italy, France, and Spain, and Portugal, it, it doesn't seem... It's a priority by the government or whoever's in charge? What? No, I don't think it's made a priority. I think people see it as important. But, uh, for example, in the schools here, mm -hmm. um, you don't have native speaker English teachers. For example, my son, they do English in his first grade classroom, which is kind of funny because poor kid, he's already very fluent, of course, he's a native speaker. And here he has an Italian teaching him English. So one time he came home and he said something about who's trying to hide forget why, but he, he was trying to say the word thumb, and he said tomb, and I said, Vincenzo, come on now, you know how to say thumb. You know, he's learning Italian, or he's learning English with a foreigner accent, which is, I suppose that's fine, it's better than nothing, but there's a lot of theory in the classroom, not a lot of practice. So. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I was a little surprised because, uh, you know, Christ, what, well, were you here in 2008? No, I was living back in the States. Well, yeah. I was here for part of 2008. I, I moved away in June, so I was here for the first half. Because when the financial crisis hit, it sounds like it hit Italy and Spain and places that really, really hard, and Greece as well. No, I was back in the States. I was in Seattle in September when that hit. Mm -hmm. So, But yeah, it definitely hit pretty hard. It still continues to be a very big problem here. Unemployment, youth unemployment. I was just writing... A blog post about that the other day, where some sources are saying that youth unemployment is up to forty percent. That's here. that's that's about right because um, when I, I last year when I went to Madrid, I I never saw so many white Spanish jumping into a garbage can looking for food, and oh and they were saying that for uh, men between eighteen through I don't know thirty five category, uh, it's a, it was hovering almost fifty percent for yeah. Greece and Spain. It's you know? really a real problem. And also, of course, we can go into how in Italy, uh, specifically, there's so much um, nepotism that goes mm -hmm. on. This is not a meritocracy. This is not a place where you can just plop down without knowing anybody and get a job. It is all about how, who you know or who you can pay off. 
to get a job. And I say that with quite a bit of confidence because I've lived here for so many years and I've known so many people mm-hmm. who are ambitious and smart. And in fact, then we go on to the, the, the concept of brain drain. People are moving out. People move, the ambitious, smart, young people are... are, are the one in Northern Europe or North America. Yeah. yeah, they continue to move to places where they're not only appreciated on their merits, but they can get ahead. And so it's a real, real problem here. Real problem. And I, I don't want to keep, you know, talking about negative stuff wrong. Yeah, of course not. You know, it's an amazing place, but um, Michael Lewis, a very famous American journalist, um, talked about um, their inability to collect the right amount of tax money from the citizens of Italy. Sure, and, sure. Uh, Taxes are, tax evasion is huge over here. Huge issue. So I, I guess, um, are you pretty optimistic the future of Italy or Rome in general? or? You know, it's funny to say whether I'm optimistic or not. I think, I think this is a city that just keeps on going. You know, I don't think it's sure. So like two thousand years. So you know, yeah, exactly. I think that um, I think you just have to kind of keep going with the flow. You know, I, a lot of things that people perceive as negative, I I do tend to see as kind of endemic to the system here. I don't mm-hmm. see. Not like I'm an expert, but I don't really envision big changes. I don't really envision big overhauls. I don't envision ever a Rome that doesn't have corruption or a Rome that is efficient. I, 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 that, that would take everything away from this city. I mean, that's the inefficiency of Rome is part of its, you know, it's part of the patchwork quilt of this city. And the charm of this city, yeah. It is kind of the charm, too, because, you know, that, it's like everything in life. You've got a, two ends of the spectrum. So here, yeah, it is inefficient. On the other hand, you mentioned quality of life. Quality of life here, it's very expensive, but from a, from a lifestyle mentality perspective, there's definitely an appreciation of the joys of life. I mean, I don't want to romanticize it, but people know how to savor, for example, and I'm generalizing, but a good meal. People could, I, I've been at dinners where people have talked for an hour about a meal that they had, you know, at a wedding or a couple weeks ago. I mean, there's a real, there's, it's a, there's a sensual approach to life here in the sense of the five senses. You know, people really live life to the fullest. It, and of course, we're generalizing once again. But right. in Northern Europe, it seems like you eat food because the body needs sustenance to survive. But over here, it, it's... Um, I, I remember my, one of my uh, friend's well, grandmother, she always keeps saying this thing over and over about you know, her Italian background. But, you know, the one, well, I keep hearing these words like mangiare. I guess that's to oh, eat. Oh, sure, it is. Manja is, to, yeah. is the command to eat. Manja, manja. So she say mangiare, cantare. Is that singing? Or? Cantare is to sing. And amore. Oh, see, that's nice. It's eat, sing, and, and love. Love, yeah. And, and, and that's a good, a good way to sum it up. There's a real joy for life here. Real Absolutely. Yeah. And... It's funny, the hand gesture. Oh I mean, my gosh, see, there we go. I, I've been wanting to make a video on my blog of hand gestures, actually, because it's fascinating to me. I wish you would do that. You know how... I want to. You can, I was just talking to my friend the other day. You can have an entire conversation and never say a word. And he's Italian, and he was saying, yeah, I love that. I love that about Italy. I, I would love to... You know, in American football, you know, the, the, the announcers will, like, show you footage of something that happened. I would love it, like, if you just film something randomly in the street and explain yeah. to people what's going on. Right. I, yeah, I've, that's been on my back burner for a long time because I've adapted that into my own life. And I, I tell you, um, honest to God truth, there are certain things I cannot say anymore without making a hand gesture. For example, if I want to say in Italian, when I'm speaking in Italian that somebody's crazy, 
I cannot do it physically without taking my hand, putting it in front of my face, and fanning it back and forth. Mm-hmm. Because that is the gesture, at least here in Rome. If somebody's, you know how we might say somebody's crazy, we use our finger and kind of uh, turn it around yeah, 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 yeah. the side of the head. It's hard to describe in words. Well, the gesture here in Rome for that is you put your hand up kind of perpendicular to your face and you wave it back and forth. Like as if, you know how we do when something smells bad? Okay, that's like their their gesture for it. You're, for this person's crazy. My shame, I probably mocked, I mocked. I can't do it anymore without moving my hand. <laughs> this is part of the culture. It's so ingrained. And the way you say it is such a pretty language. It, it really is. is. Even when I'm saying she's just off her rocker crazy and it sounds beautiful. And that was my attraction to the language. When I didn't understand it, so melodic. And it's designed to be melodic. All the words pretty much end in vowels. So it's, you know, it's designed to flow in a very melodic way. When you learn the language, you learn that. Certain rules make it sound more harmonic. Because, is it, how do you say it? Is it term, the, the main term? Termini. I saw two taxi drivers yelling at each other, yeah, right? And, yeah. and they were all this hand gesture, yeah. but I couldn't marvel because I know they were saying some horrible stuff to each other. I have yeah. no idea what they're saying. Right. It was such a pretty... Yeah, it's great. It was, it was a pretty it? language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty and, language, yeah. And I don't know how many times I saw this uh, station. It looks like a boyfriend, girlfriend. She's mad at him. And he's, you know... But it, it, the hand gesture. Yeah, it's so it, expressive. It's very expressive. It's fun to watch. It is fun to watch. Um, is there other things that Americans should know about Rome and how wonderful it is? Do you, do you have any other... Oh, that's a nice question. Well, something that popped into my mind when you were just now describing those scenes is something that a professor I used to work with told me, which I think is so apt and so true about Rome. She said, living in Rome, and this was an American professor who's lived here for 30-odd years, she said, when you leave your front door in the morning, whether you're a tourist or a native or whatever, when you step outside, it's like stepping onto a stage. And it really is. It's like life here. It feels. It kind of feels like a play going on. It's very. I guess drama is a good word. Um, it's a dramatic. Uh, it's a dramatic experience because of the expressivity and the the fact that people live with a lot of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, people here are expressive. Um, so other things to know about here that are wonderful. Um, I find that Romans are very hospitable. Um, I have They're not, very friendly. Yes. Uh, speaking from, if we're talking to people who are coming to come here to visit, I will say that I found Rome to be a very friendly city, uh, very open to tourists. On the flip side, which maybe isn't a great thing, but something to be aware of, they're not always uh, very customer service friendly or mm-hmm. oriented. I think some people coming from the States or North America get a little bit put off or offended at what seems to them as a very harsh or abrupt kind of service in restaurants, for example. You don't get a lot of the niceties that we get. It's not like at Chili's where someone comes up, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm going to be your server. It's very to the point. Um, That doesn't mean that they're being rude. It's just a way of being. And also something to keep in mind is that here, being a, a waiter, server, is a career. And so you might see two waiters servicing an entire restaurant, whereas in the States, uh, or at least in my experience, we're used to these chain restaurants where you might have 10 servers, one for the water, one for the busing. And so here it's it's very much about, let's get this done. This is you know, So you're not going to find a lot of the casual small talk in a grocery store. You know, you have to ask for your bags. You have to ask and you have to pay for them. And they basically throw them down to you and you have to bag your own groceries. You know, you don't get a lot of the smiling niceties. At the same time, I really like that aspect here because I don't find it to be superficial. 
what you see is what you get. You know, Romans are very authentic in that sense. I don't know how many times I'm looking at that, but somebody will come up and try to help me with it, yes. even though they don't speak English yes. and I don't speak Italian. They're very friendly. And I, I always tell my friends when you visit another country, just don't assume whatever your country consider polite, it's a politeness, yes. you know, and, and what you consider rude might not be rude in that country right. too. Right, so right. I, I try to be patient as I can and I don't have a problem. I, I just think, Rome is an extremely safe place. I walk middle of the night, transportation, subway, it works great, and the food is wonderful, and uh, I, I, so far, I, uh, uh, I had a wonderful time. Well, that's good to hear, because sometimes it doesn't work that well, but um, I would say, and you mentioned crime, something I always tell visitors here is that um, violent crime is not really an issue here so much as petty crime. So of course you want to be extra careful here in Rome about your bags. As far as crime, and this is not just Italy or Rome, but um, if you just happen to be wearing a football jersey and you're in a bad neighborhood, um, you know that football is an altogether different issue. But yeah, I, I cut myself in a football like soccer or like soccer, American football, soccer, yeah, soccer okay. jersey. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know, um, I, I don't, oh really? Yeah, I, people are very loyal to their teams. I don't think it would get at least in Rome. It's not going to get you into any kind of violent yeah. trouble. You might get a little ribbing, but if you're a, if you're a tourist, they're going to understand that you don't know all the nuances of the teams. Maybe in the UK that would be a bigger issue. Oh yeah, here so I don't find that to be so much of an issue in terms of violence. Let me quickly ask a couple more. Sure, of course. Okay, so um, we're both from Pacific Northwest. Yes. So when the Amanda knocks trial started, um, I guess she was a student at Perugia. Perugia is famous because it has the Università uh, per Stranieri, so it's a foreigner's university there. And also it's a mid-sized town, it's not I a see. big city, so it's very hospitable for, for people who aren't familiar. So she's American from Seattle, she had an Italian boyfriend, and one of her roommate was murdered and she was accused of that and she ended up staying in prison, Italian prison for three or four years. She was released and I don't really know detail whether she was guilty or not. Um, I guess my question for you is like, what, what was the uh, Italian's general impression of the whole thing? And yeah, it, I mean, there's so many dimensions and levels to that case and so many sides and so many opinions and so many nuances. Um, gosh, where to even start? Well, I will say that I think one of the biggest overriding themes that came out of that trial was that the prosecution was trying to paint Amanda Knox in, in terms of their, um, their case as um, some kind of, I don't want to say sexual deviant, but there was always this this story that was circulating from the prosecution about there were the, it was a sex game gone wrong sure. or something of that nature. It was almost kind of a, I don't know, a really sordid kind of a thing that, uh, like a very, almost like a pulp novel or something. And so there was that aspect to it that painted her in the public eye here as this kind of evil seductress or something of that nature. And, and gender role is different in Italy than say states, you know, I'm not, obviously not a woman, so <laughs> you, you dealt with this, so. Yeah, I mean, it, we definitely, and that opens a whole nother can of worms, but definitely the way that women are viewed in society, the way that women are portrayed here in the media is oftentimes not very respectful in terms of the way their bodies are shown, or they're very, I mean, women being objectified. I've written several articles about mm -hmm. it on my blog, and I'm not any kind of crusader, but when I, 
a lot of my blogs centers on things I see in the culture, sure. the everyday culture. So a lot of times on my blog, you'll find commentaries about things I'm seeing in, in advertisements, in TV, um, and I comment on them. And it's just very, the way that women are portrayed in the media here is, um, it's, yeah, it's very um, exploit, exploitative, if that's a word. They're exploited, I think, a lot for their bodies. Um, so I think that played a role, sure. I mean, we it ties back to the idea of, it's kind of, what's the word, titillating to like mm-hmm. see, you know, it's a young American girl comes over and her roommate gets killed. It's a very dramatic story, of course. It's, you know, it was a tragedy, so. Well, I mean, it, this, this like, it, it was a combination of, I don't want to say how Italian court system were. Right, right. The gender roles of men and women. Right. But there was a little bit like a superstitious kind of thinking was going to, and um, they keep, you know, what, what I read from translating, they keep mentioning how attractive she was and her look, you know, and you would think it should be based on evidence, evidence you know, and because there was very little, if no DNA evidence right. in the crime scene. And it was bungled. I mean, the whole the whole collection of evidence was also a bungled kind of a thing. I, don't, I didn't follow the story closely, but from what little I could gather, the collection of the evidence was kind of messed up. It, it passed through different mm-hmm. hands. A couple different um, police squads or teams were involved, and it just there really was nothing done quite the right way, it seems, in that case. So it left open a lot of question marks. And the prosecutor and some of the judges seemed biased. Well, and there have been a couple of books written in English on that. I, I don't know the man's name, but if you look it up online, there's a journalist who wrote about the prosecutor in this case, mm-hmm. the Italian prosecutor. He was under investigation for malpractice or, you know, incorrect behavior in another case in which he had constructed a similar story about the woman in that case. So this is kind of like sorted sex games kind of a thing. And so, you know, you really have to question his ethics and his ability to do uh, an honest job as well. So again, there's just so many levels of questioning and, and uh, ugh, nothing was clear cut. Nothing was clear cut in that case. And I don't want to imply like we have a perfect system in the States because we do not. No. And we have prosecution um, who are thinking about running for office. So they will use certain famous case for their, you know, from out their agenda, you know. So right. I, I don't want the Italian people think like we have a better superior. So it's not, it's, it's just no, different. No, it's just different. Very different. different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very different. And so um, that case was, it was, a, it was a, a media, kind of a media circus, I think, because of all these elements. It sounds like a novel. It sounds like a crime novel. Uh, and and, and one, a couple of things that people I find interesting that the media loved it because she was attractive. So there was kind of almost like it was fun to look at her kind of element to it. But also, I guess to American lawyers, we, we didn't understand our, the system work here. But um, I guess it has something to do with Italian government want to fight against mafia. So they have more tough law and... Uh, the process is easier to convict people, I guess. Oh my gosh, I can't even comment on, on the justice system here. It is tangled and mm-hmm. confused and corrupt. And of course, it, we have two different legal systems in the States. Um, you know, one's a civil law system, one's a common law system. So basically, even if you go to the States as um, an Italian lawyer, you have to retrain under the Italian or under the United States sure. legal system. Like you can't just, at least in Washington state, you can't just sit for the bar. You have to go back to law school because it's such a different way of approaching. Um, you know, we don't have, here the judges can, 
can be like prosecutors, the judges do investigations. It's very different. So, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and one, one more thing about this. Um, would you mind? Would you mind if I bring up the fact that your husband had an interesting connection to this story? Yes, no, that's fine, because I did move back to Seattle. We were talking about this before we turned on the, the tape and just our initial conversation. But yes, it was very interesting because my ex-husband and I lived in Seattle at the time, and he was um, kind of like the legal expert on the case because he was able to explain to the public through the local news stations. He's a attorney Seattle. here. Yes, I didn't say that. He's a he's a, an Italian lawyer, but he also practices law with the Washington State Bar as a foreign law consultant. Wow! So he Small had. World. Yeah, it's really interesting that our the worlds collided there, and so it was interesting because he was able to explain to the viewers in the United States the Italian legal system. Um, not that one is better or worse, but at least to try to explain why is she in prison for four mm -hmm. years when she has not yet been convicted of a crime. Sure. It's bizarre. I mean, to us, that would be completely inhumane. And yet here, that's par for the course. So it's very, very complex. Very complex. So he was basically on TV in Seattle explaining why... Um, Certain right. things were happening, yeah. right? Because to an American audience or an American lawyer, it would be inconceivable. Some of the ways that or all these appeals or mm -hmm. different trials and the way the thing was dragging on. And, you know, one hearing might be six months after we have the right to a speedy trial. You know, it's constitutional. So we don't I hear that's laughable. I, you know, my ex-husband being a lawyer, he has cases that have been going on for 20 years wow. that he's taken on from lawyers who, one, he took on from a lawyer who passed away and the case <laughs> is still going. We had, you know, it, it's, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> and because it's interesting, when I read the, the little bit of the case, I didn't know in Italy, appeal is automatic. You don't have to ask for it. In the States, you have to ask and then you somehow justify and the judge has to make a decision you could appeal. It's automatic, you don't even have to ask. If you're found guilty of something, it's automatically done. Another thing I find interesting in the Italian legal system, you know when a juror in a room and then among their peers and make a final decision whether somebody's guilty or not? Right. Judge actually sit with that group and kind of listen to what's going yes. on. I didn't, I didn't yes. know that. Yes, it's very, very different. It's very different. And a double jeopardy is possible in Italy in the sense that you can be... Oh, is that right? Yes, and so that was a big issue as well because they could retry her, you know, and that's what they're going to do. <laughs> they're, they're doing, in fact, yeah. I, I read today that uh, her uh, ex-boyfriend, uh, Rafael... Uh, Rafael Solecito. Oh, that, yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. We heard his name so much in the press here, over and over. I heard that uh, he went to Seattle, like, uh, early last year. Oh, did he? Trying to convince her to marry him, so oh that my God. <laughs> So he'll be extradited back to that, uh -huh. Italy. Well, who knows? Is because... I guess if she's found guilty, she's fugitive, but she's not foolish yeah. enough to come back. She's never coming back here. She's never coming back here. Yeah, but he's Italian, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I mean, you know, all things considered, he's not going anywhere. But, you know, and, and some of the lawyer friends that I knew at the time that she was originally, uh, that this crime originally happened, you know, just among the lawyers, they were saying her best bet would have been to just leave the country, you know, rather mm -hmm. than sticking around and giving all those different stories. For that reason, I mean, obviously, from an ethical standpoint, that doesn't really jive. But at the same time, look at the system here. It's crazy. <laughs> My impression was, I think she was um, innocent, but she did not help her the way she was presenting herself. And um, 
you know, other two or three other people were accused. They got a lawyer right away, and they had to see how um, yeah. things work here. She didn't know that. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why, but there's one time she started laughing during the case, and they yeah. thought, I don't know, they just thought, why would innocent people just laugh in a yeah. court? You know, yeah. in the yeah. states, maybe they laugh because uh, prosecution accused her some absurd thing or something. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. There was a lot of misinterpretation, yeah. like, you know. Well, and of course, she was, you know, here studying to learn Italian, so she didn't speak the language, study abroad students. So well, she's know. fluent now. Well, yeah, <laughs> she absolutely is fluent. Goodness gracious, yeah. What a, yeah, that was just, and then she came out with a book, an autobiography, or, or she wrote about her experiences here. Well, I guess if you're planning to go to another country, um, this is a horrible way of learning the legal system, but you just can't assume that the system is going to be the same like we are from. No, exactly, exactly. So, A um, couple more. Did you follow Jersey Shore? You know, I didn't. I didn't follow Jersey Shore at all. I don't have a lot of time for pop culture, unfortunately, with my kiddos. But I, you know, I saw a lot of pictures in People magazine or, you know, I hear my friends talking about it. I could kind of understand... Walking around in Rome last couple of days, of course, they stayed in uh, Florence when they filmed it. I couldn't understand why Italians are upset because I, have, I haven't been in Florence, but um, if you walk in Rome, they're very proud of their culture and heritage and language, you know. And I think to most Italians, people from Jersey Shore, even though they're Italian-Americans, really not Italian to them, you know. Well, you bring up a really good point. In fact, I wrote about this extensively on my blog once. Um, Italian American is different culture than Italian. For sure, it's different, and so I wrote about that. And I'm not Italian American, and I'm not Italian, but as an observer, I can see that they are two separate cultures. But let's be honest: to to native Roman, you are more Italian. Those people from Jersey Shore, well, way more. Right. I mean, and from what I heard, I think somebody had told me that. Uh, some of those people in Jersey Shore weren't even Italian American or something. One was Argentine, one was Yeah, when you get into reality TV, mm. you know, it's all, it really is a packaged kind of production. You know, we can't really, it's a parody, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's, it's, an, it's entertainment. If we're going to look from a fashion perspective, if they're, you know, I don't, I didn't see Jersey Shore, so I don't know what the whole premise was there, but. Um, oh, no, thank God you didn't watch it. Okay, it's, it's, well, it's, um, you know, but one of the things. I mean, I, I personally like it. For I, the entertainment value, right? I, per, I personally like it, but I think it's wrong for them to say they're Italian because I think people in Italy take offense to that. Well, and rightfully so, because that's a different culture. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I think even Italian-Americans might take issue with Jersey Shore saying, well, I'm Italian-American well, too, yeah. and yet I don't look like Snooki, and I don't look like, you know, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, again, you know, there are these kind of parodies of cultural stereotypes that are entertaining to watch, but obviously, as most stereotypes don't always represent reality. Because most of the Italian uh, uh, people and Italian Americans I meet in the States, they're just a wonderful group of people. They pay tax, they work really hard, take care of their family. But if I was Italian, it'd probably drive me crazy to see, as much as I like the show Soprano, to show Italian another TV or movie where they're mobbed. Sure, that's sure. got to be infuriating. Well, and Italians have a phrase for that. When I first came here, they do get offended. They say, mm -hmm. uh, you see, they'll tell me this in Italian, obviously. They say, you Americans, all you see us as. They say spaghetti, mandolini, and mafia. You just see us as spaghetti, mandolins, and mafia. That's what we you think of us. And even, I mean, when I'm watching cartoons with my kids, American cartoons where there's the Italian restaurant owner, they always look the same. They got a white coat, and they got a mustache. red checkered, they got a, yeah, I got a mustache, they got a red checkered handkerchief around their neck, and they have that really, oh, hi, George, come in to my yeah. restaurant. You know, and it's, 
they're stereotypes. So, you know, cultural stereotypes. It happens with every culture, I guess. But it does aggravate Italians. To the same extent that it aggravates me when Italians come up to me and say, everyone in the United States carries a gun to school. Which is not true. And they are convinced. And it's not true. And yet, look at how the media, what news comes over from the States. Well, you have these mass killings at high schools, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. violence. It's very easy to buy or acquire a gun in the States. So, you know, we all have our cultural stereotypes that we have to overcome. So, generalization can become dangerous that way. Um, all right, I, I don't remember. Uh, okay, so, um, we just finished the Jersey Shore. And um, I guess both, I can't even say that. Fred Yeah. Um, um, well, what, 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 do you, what, what, do you, what do you think about it? Him in general. Um, well, we had we talked a little bit before yeah. about his legacy and how I view him. Again, I think that he's to me he's a buffoon. Like he's a caricature of all the things that are. I don't want to be dramatic and all the things that are wrong with this country, but he's an interesting person to kind of examine and study. Also, because like you rightfully said, how is it possible that someone like this could get elected? And there are people who, you know, maybe not now so much anymore after so many scandals, but he presented an image, I think, to the Italian public that some people wanted to emulate. You know, he presents this image of successful businessman. He's in his 70s, and yet he's still very, um, this, this male virility concept. You know, here I am, and yet I'm still able to get the women, and... I don't know. I I don't know what the fascination with him is, but what I can say is that not everybody loves him, and a lot of Italians that I know say to me, you know, it's embarrassed. It's an embarrassment. When I was living here and George Bush was president, that was a difficult time too because a lot of the things that he (laughs) was doing or his behaviors or the decisions he was making, I was constantly having to be the representative of the American, you know, government, public, whatever. I think when you... Well, you do a lot of apologizing to people? Well, you know, I mean, I, I have my own personal views on George Bush. I mean, personally, I, it was just very difficult to even watch him try to speak in public because sure. he just did not sound intelligent to me personally at all. Um, but what I would say to people is, look, you know, he's the American president, but he doesn't represent all the Americans. I feel the same way. And so I guess you could say the same thing about Berlusconi. I mean, again, that would take a really in-depth kind of study to figure out and tease out all the different issues with him. But um, he's definitely an interesting phenomenon. And I do not think that he helped in any way, shape, or form the image of women here in Italy. He certainly was not respectful of women. Um, there There are several cases of women who were in his government published cases of where women had been promoted because of sexual favors that they had given to him. And, you know, there's all kinds of conversations that were recorded. That's really um, dehumanizing and just, it's, it's just shame. It's kind of shameful, you know, and embarrassing that, a, that women are seen as objects. And he kind of glorified that. He really did glorify that, women as objects um, mentality. So me, to me, that's just really disgusting, and, and I, I, it's just bad that that was... To me, that's the legacy that he left. I, yeah, I, controversy, scandal, sex, corruption. When, when Rupert Murdoch started his publishing in newspaper business in Australia, uh, he was the one of the first guy, I think he might have been the first guy to have those English newspapers. When you open the second page, there's a topless girls. Oh, okay, he's, yeah. He's the one that kind of started it. Right, right. So there was, um, you know... Circulation numbers high, right, right. when you do stuff like that. 
I, I think this, this guy in Italy is the same thing where many of the media business he owns is right. very sexualized like yes I it be- is it absolutely is I couldn't believe how many times he will have a show where showgirls yes topless and yes. you know of course I'm not a I, well, I told you before the show, I used to work for a guy named Rocco Sofredi, he's very famous in Italy. Probably the most famous. Yeah, uh, pornographer. Uh, and, uh, but porn he, actor. Porn Italy. actor. Yeah, from Italy. But he used to do um, even commercials and regular TV. And Who, he, Rocco Sofredi? Yeah. Yeah, he did a very funny play, well, not funny, but clever kind of play on words for potato chips, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I guess the word chip it, is... is, is Pitada, it. yeah, it's a slang term for the female anatomy. Yeah, so and I, didn't, I didn't even know that. They hired him to do the, the potato chip commercial. I love potatoes, you know, it's this big ha-ha inside joke about, you know, he's just trying to make a buck like everybody else. And I heard that the Vatican was not happy with the commercial and they Oh, complained. really? That's interesting. They complained, but nothing oh, no. was done. Um, no, that's, you know. Are you worried about your two daughters about how they'll be treated? You know, worried, I, I don't know, I guess concerned as any parent would be about how to raise girls in general mm-hmm. in a culture, um, in a cultural environment nowadays, kind of globally first world cultures, I would say, you know, because in the United States... It's like, crazy in the States too. Yeah, I mean, in the sense that women <laughs> in the media are still objectified. And so I, I suppose it goes back to really coming back to home you know how do you teach your your girls to to grow up and you know not be kind of victims of the the over sexualized image so i think i would i would probably approach it the same here in italy as i would in the states i see my values my values are the same um and i think that the teenage girls probably face a lot of the same issues now tv and media yeah it's different here it's definitely different. You see women who are really scantily clad, half naked, topless, whatever, on TV here. I don't want to lie. I'm, I'm torn because on one hand, wow, you know, as a guy, enjoy watching it. <laughs> but I also wonder, I have female friends and like cousins and stuff, you know, and that I had it to trickle down and like, I'm really torn, you know, I'm kind of happy. I would like, I, I do, when I saw them, I was like, well, how could you as a guy hate that? But on the other hand, the damage it does to people that you care, you know, so I'm having a hard time balancing the two. Well, and as a woman, I can also, I mean, gosh, you know, we just have to find a middle ground, really, yeah. you know, and not go one too extreme or the other, because at the, on the other hand, is it even really productive to be talking about Janet Jackson's nipple as a big scandal sure. for months and months? I mean, let's, come on, let's get a grip, you know, so... I don't know. I think it, like with anything, you just gotta find a happy medium, you know, and not go too far off the deep end, moralizing or sexualizing one way or the other. So, it comes down to values, I suppose. Visiting Afghanistan twice, you know, even their attitudes are changing slowly because my friend owns most of the media company in Afghanistan, and uh, when they did the Afghan version of American Idol, first year, they, the mullahs told uh, in the Taliban said they have to kill one of the singers because she accidentally showed her neck. They had to kill one of the singers? They, they, they were given permission to kill yeah. her. Yeah. But seven, eight years later, now you see women with more revealing clothes. So even short amount of time, even sure. as a place is like that, yeah. attitude can change. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, I'm just hoping that, um, and I think this is not going to be a problem with you. You talk to your kids. Of course. So they're protected. But I just worry about the kids no one talked to, you know, how do they... Like boys, if if the dads think this is cool, right, right, right. that way, uh, I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah, for sure. 
So uh, your website again? Um, that the the blog is well. I'm sure you have it on your uh, link on your site too. But unamericanaromas is my Rome site. Okay. Well, um, Shelley, thanks for doing the podcast, and I'm, I'm sorry it's drags for so long. And, uh, no, that's and, okay. And, and, and we had a lot to talk about. <laughs> but uh, um, so I, I guess when the listeners have questions, I think they'll go to your website and send you yes. emails. Please but, come and visit my blog. I would love that. I love interacting with my readers. And uh, I guess, God, I wish you would do a tour guide or something. You, you seem so knowledgeable. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I would enjoy giving tours. I've been approached to do that by some companies, actually, to give tours. We'll see. Who knows what the future holds. <laughs> Busy and, with my kids right now. <laughs> and could you let people know your uh, Twitter account? Oh, address? yes. Twitter is at um, Shelly in Rome. Okay. Well, Shelly, thanks for uh, doing this show. And uh, hopefully, I'd love to come back again maybe next year. Yeah, absolutely. Throw your coins in the Trekkie Fountain. Yes. It's a sure sure bet. That's the trick. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And Shelly, once again, thank you very much. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.